Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And we are thrilled today to wrap our This is the Old Testament series with our friend, Nancy Guthrie. Nancy was with us for episode 44 back when we were studying Daniel. And she's with us today as we talk through the last five books of the Old Testament and give you a framework for reading selections from these books this week as we wrap the Old Testament together. Nancy is local here in Nashville. She's a Bible teacher at her home church and around the world. She's written a host of books that are so wonderful. The most recent one is called I'm Praying for You. She also teaches biblical theology workshops for women, and the new round of those just open for registration. You can find the link in our show notes. Go check those out. They're in-person workshops, which feels very exciting. So, but let's get to this episode. We're going to talk through these last five books of the Bible. Let Nancy help us frame all of this so that we can end the Old Testament strong and get ready to move right on to the New Testament next week. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Well, it is popular baby names week here at the Sherry's <laughs> Truth Podcast. Is it? Yeah. Because we have a couple of Habakkuk? Habakkuk. Yeah. No, I think maybe popular is not the right word, but should be popular baby name. <laughs> maybe shouldn't be. We have Nancy Guthrie here with us this week, which Hi, feels... Hi, people. I'm so happy to be here. Welcome. And you're actually here, like in the yeah, same room with us, that. which Hallelujah. is very exciting. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here, Nancy. I would have you here for any episode because I mm. love it's true. talking about the Bible with you, but you have just been such a model for me of what it looks like to be a student of the Word, but also mm-hmm. a teacher of the Word. And you've just modeled that for both of us so well, how to rightly handle the Word of Truth and how to really care and say, this matters. And it matters that we know, not just that we say we believe in God or say that we want to serve Him, but to know what that means and the way to know that mm-hmm. is through the Word. So It's just thrilling to me. Thank you for being here. Thank you. That's kind of you. What I love about the Bible is I feel like, you know, the deeper I go, the more I see how much I don't know, right? Yeah. (laughs) And that the Bible is the one book that's worthy spending my whole lifetime. That's right. Seeking to understand because I will. I mean, you know, I'm never going to understand everything perfectly and I have so much to learn, but I love it that the Bible is worth that kind of investment. I agree. Yeah. And I think that like the way that I can most concisely put it is that you've modeled what it looks like to be an ongoing student. I love that. We have, I mean, on the shelf at our office, this series of books that you created a while back that I think it's called the Seeing Jesus series. So we have like the Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament and I have in my hands Seeing Jesus in the Prophets. Um, and it was hard for me to hunt this down in the office yesterday because it was not in the library. Somebody had it in their office. So um, it was being used. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was saying that I think we could have you for any episode, but I'm excited to have you here to talk about the Prophets. There's something that you say in this book. The book is called The Word of the Lord, Seeing Jesus in the Prophets. But there's something that you say, well, there's a couple of things that you say, but one thing you say, I'm going to actually just quote you to you. Is that okay? Sure. <laughs> so you say, if as I- As long ask, as it's brilliant. I mean, it'll be brilliant. Well, there's so many things. I'll get to them all, hopefully. But one thing you say is, if I asked you to give me a sentence describing what the Lord of the Flies or the Scarlet Letter or the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is about, I imagine you'd be able to tell me. But if you're like me- and I appreciate your posture there, you'd probably have a harder time describing what the books of Micah or Ezekiel or Malachi are about, wouldn't you? Many of us would say that the Bible is the most important book in our lives, and yet there are parts of it we've been content to not really know about. 
I appreciated, like I said, I interrupted myself saying, like, I appreciated your posture there. I'm just going like, yeah, me too. I think that reflects me for most of my life. Yeah. And I think there's a number of reasons for that, especially mm-hmm. when we get to the prophets. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with being modern Western thinkers. Yeah. That we think chronologically. That's right. And we hardly know what to do with something that we're being told that's not being presented to us chronologically because we just don't even know how to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we don't have a solid sense of what is the story of the Old Testament, when I get to the prophetic books, who's Judah and right. who's Israel? Right. And the fact that these books in the Bible are not necessarily presented to us in the order in which they were written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that each one requires we figure out, okay, who is he talking to? And what time period was this? You know, had they gone into exile? Was he warning him? About, you know, all of those kind of things. And I think for most of my life, I just, I never approached a book of the Bible that way. So my approach to a prophetical book would be like hunt down a passage that says something really nice that I like that I could do something with and just yeah. ignore the rest. With. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of the way we have a lot of us that is our relationship. You just described our relationship with the Minor Prophets is we might know kind of the most well-known verse. Exactly. In We've the heard book. one sermon on one little passage right. of one, right? right? We talked about that last week with Trillia Newbell. The key verse that we have identified, you know, for the book of Amos is, but let justice rule down. That's like, the first like, verse I think of. Right. 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 Yeah. But the five, and it's a good one. <laughs> the five verses preceding that are devastating. And actually what God is saying in that, but let justice, like it puts a fully different, not spin, but clear understanding on right. what he's saying there. Yeah. You're exactly right that the prophets, you, another way that you described them is that they're the books of the Bible that you've understood the least and avoided the most. And I think that, like, for me, it is just, I'm not great at history or geography, and that's really necessary. And geography. Yeah. I mean, that's really important it's for geography the Geography matters right? in this immensely. Yeah. And then to kind of like have that that understanding that when we read scripture, it can't mean for us now what it didn't mean for them then. And also there is a meaning for them then and for us. Like there's just a lot at play and it's very tempting to just go for the us now. Exactly. That's how most Bible study that I yeah. would say most of us have grown up in has trained us to do. Skip I to mean, the application. Read a passage. What does it mean for you? Mm-hmm. And wow, we really can't do that with the prophets. And maybe yeah. that's another reason we're kind of uncomfortable with it is <laughs> yeah. that we have, we do have to know about those people right. and their situation and where they were and at what point in the biblical story it happens. Yeah. And we have to be constantly saying, so what difference does the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus make in this, you know, yes. it, in what, what way does that make? I like was that. Yeah. it fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Mm-hmm. And as we're going to see in some of the books we're talking about today, I mean, I really saw that. You see it in his death, resurrection, and in Pentecost. Yeah. But then there's also a fuller meaning because so many of these prophets are talking not only to the future when the kingdom is inaugurated mm-hmm. when Christ comes. But when the kingdom comes in all of its fullness, when he comes again, which we're still looking for. And, you know, honestly, it just takes some developed skills to to see both of those things that the prophet is looking toward. And so, honestly, some of us just, and me for most of my life, 
just didn't have the will to develop the skills. I like mm-hmm. that you use the phrase developed skills. I think that's a really good way to put it because these are not like, oh, I'm not good at that or this is not my strong suit. No, no, no. This is a skill and any skill, swinging a bat, you know, yeah. roller skating, whatever it is, it takes development. It takes just <laughs> it takes a teacher in many cases. Or I, I was reading practice. Graham Goldsworthy's book this morning. It was actually about the book of Revelation and about apocalyptic literature, but sure. it applies just here. classic morning he, reading. He, he just talked about how people will say, you know, I can never under understand that. Right. And he's like, don't even tell me that. You know, I've seen women who knit and they follow these complicated patterns yeah. and figure it out. Or a man who can dive under the hood of a car Take and he knows apart. how an engine works. And it makes sense to him. But he's invested he's done himself it. in learning because it's right. important to them. Yep. It was desire. And I think oftentimes, I'll just say for me, Oftentimes it's desire. You know, do I want that badly to figure this out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I'm willing to invest myself and blow some sockets maybe right. on my brain. I mean, I have been working on Revelation and I told someone <laughs> I was working with earlier this week, I feel like my brain is going to break, you know, because it's unfamiliar literature and it's challenging. But I guess once again, I believe it's worth it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And like to use the analogy of taking an engine apart and putting it back together. I think that with some of these things, some Old Testament books, and I think especially Revelation, you're afraid if you pick it all apart, can you put it all back together again? What will happen if I look closer? And I think that what we know is that what happens when you look closer is it's more beautiful. Exactly. Most things in the world are not that way. It is not. As you look closer, you start to see all the fault lines. Mm -hmm. The Bible is different. The closer you look, the more, to me at least, the more it holds together. The more it holds together. It has one, it's so clear it has one divine author. Mm -hmm. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Well, we get to start this week with Habakkuk. And the key verse for Habakkuk is one of those. That, it's one of those, that, yeah. You know, we just love, love, love. But I love, there's a line in our study book that's just describing what is the book of Habakkuk. And it says, it's a small collection of conversations between the prophet Habakkuk and the Lord. And I love that. I'm just like, there's something so intimate about that. Mm-hmm. So here again, like even among the prophets, yes, they're all the prophets, mm-hmm. capital P, but you know, we had a prophetic narrative last week that we went through. We had some poetry. And today we get conversation. And so it's so interesting. Habakkuk is, it's three chapters. And the Mm -hmm. first two are back and forth conversations. And then the third one is, it's Habakkuk's song to God. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I want to get to the key verse in chapter three. But before we do, Nancy, I see you have your Bible on your lap. Would you (laughs) read for us Habakkuk 2, 1 through 3? Because I know it's not in our reading for this day, but I think it's going to speak really well to what we're going to talk about all week. Habakkuk writes, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. I love that. I love if it seems slow, wait for it. And I think that there's so much in the prophets and in all of Scripture. Mm -hmm. There are some things that God has promised that have come to pass. But Habakkuk's kind of going, I'm waiting for it. Mm -hmm. And of course, he's had this big question he sets before God at the beginning, which he's waiting for an answer for. That's Mm -hmm. what he's waiting for. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us can relate to that, can't we? Uh And so, you know, his big 
question is, I mean, he's looked around, he's seen the sin of his people that he knows God is so Mm -hmm. unhappy with. And so he cries out to God. He basically says, God, why aren't you doing something about this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're your people. Why aren't you doing something about it? And then you mentioned they're having a conversation. God speaks to him. Mm -hmm. And God says, oh, I am doing something, actually. And actually, you're not even going to believe what I'm going to do. And God tells him, you know, those really evil people over there, those Babylonians, I'm going to use them to bring judgment and to purify, purge my people. And at that point, Habakkuk's mm-hmm. like, wait a minute. I think he's kind of sorry he asked, yeah, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> because that's mm-hmm. not at all what he was hoping to hear. Yeah. And he just can't even make sense of it. And partly because of what he knows about God. Right. He's like, you know, God, you can't even stand to look at evil. So... Mm-hmm. How is it you're going to use an evil people to purge, to sanctify, mm-hmm. to judge your people who are less evil? Mm-hmm. Which the comparison's kind of funny, right? Right. Um, right. <laughs> and so this is what he's waiting for. Yeah. And he's waiting to hear God speak. It's us. It's us trying to make sense of God's actions in the world. Yeah. We're just, but I don't get it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I also like this calling back to the Lord what you know to be true about him. Yes. I just find that so fascinating and also really convicting. Like that is an appropriate and good way Mm -hmm. to pray that we are shown in scripture. And so at the beginning of our reading for today, we're in Habakkuk 3. And I love this second verse. Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. It reminds me, because we've been in stories of women in the Old Testament recently, personally, it reminds me of when Rahab said, like, I've heard about you. Yes. I mean, yeah. it's very different still, but it's like the the works of the Lord his reputation precedes him, yeah. right? It and makes so me think I, of Lamentations. Like yeah. a couple of weeks ago when we were like, one of the you know steps in the Lamentation is appealing to the Lord on the basis of his character and his covenant. That's right. It's that like telling God who we know he is. And it frames, not him, it doesn't change his mind to remind him, but it reminds us, right? Yeah. This whole book of Habakkuk, we talked about last week how these books seem um, big, but when we have that chart in the Shiri's True Study book that shows how long it takes to read each book of the Bible, the book of Habakkuk takes nine minutes for the average reader to read. So while we've <laughs> outlined for you, you know, you're reading for today, which is fantastic. Also, like, I mean, if you want to, if you have the time today or like later this evening, like read the whole book of Habakkuk because what we're doing here is trying to, it's a big task, trying to like spend one day each day this week looking at just one of these books, but still relatively very quickly at, you know, what is this book about and how does it fit in the whole of scripture? But if you've got time, read these whole books because they're not long. Yeah. Let's read the key verse and the context of that. Still in Habakkuk chapter 3, 16 through 19, 18 and 19 are the key verse here. Do you mind reading for us again, Nancy? I love hearing you read. And I have to read it with what I think he must have felt. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. Or really, I should sing it. Yeah. Right? I mean, because he's singing a song. I did make up a song to it, but I won't do that today. All right. Um, That'll be the bonus content. (laughs) I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. 
Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stalls, Mm. yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Mm. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. I just love that because it's such an honest response. I mean, God has shown him that he's going to use this evil people, the Babylonians, to, they're going to sweep in and bring judgment. He has assured him that Babylon's going to get their due too. But I feel like at this part, I just try to think about Habakkuk as a really human person. I mean, as he thinks about Babylon sweeping in, it's Mm -hmm. not just to some people out there doesn't know. I mean, they're going to sweep through his farm. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. might burn down his house. And this isn't after that happened. And it's not even in the midst of this happening. It's, I'm looking I'm toward, looking the toward day, total devastation. The day of distress. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, because what he describes here, this is an agricultural yes. economy. So if there's no fig trees, there's no fruit, there's no olive, there's no cattle. I mean, this is total devastation. Mm-hmm. And yet in the midst of that, he says, I've got a source of security that's not built on these things. Yeah, that's and right. that's what he means by that makes my feet like the deer's. I have a source of security that I'm going to stand on, and that is on who God is, what he has done in the past, what he has promised to do, and my confidence that his purposes for his people, including me, are good. Yeah. It feels like we're reading Habakkuk's diary or like his his prayer journal, yeah. you know, yeah. and also getting the benefit of hearing... The Lord's response. response. I mean, we talk about what it means for them then, which is pretty serious. And also, what does that mean for us now? And not to leap to that too quickly, but there are echoes of Habakkuk 3 and Romans 8. You know, what can separate us from the love of God? Can famine or, you know, or pestilence Mm -hmm. or all these things? And that's a little bit here Mm -hmm. what we're seeing. And then he says, you know, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, all of these things can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And it's easy to say that and to read Romans 8 with emotion, you know. But what Habakkuk was doing was writing on the front end of distress that he knew was coming. I think it says a lot to us as people who face the future and maybe with some fear. I think what Habakkuk presents us in these key verses that you guys set out here I think it presents us with a great opportunity to face our own fears. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, fig tree not blossoming, that's not a big problem to me. Right. I think it's a great exercise to take this verse Mm -hmm. and say, what are the things that I would say, even if this happens? That's great. So even if my husband leaves me, Yeah. right? right? Yeah. Even if my kids walk away from the faith. Even if I lose my job, you know, mm-hmm. all these things that we would set out there as our great fears that we would define as devastating. The things that we think are sustaining us. Yes. You know, in this, in his case, it was the, the food was life. That exactly. Was, was, I mean, that was his work and his life and his everything. But I think we can take that and then, oh. and just like write our own version of it, right? And say, and this. say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And so that Habakkuk's song becomes our song. Yeah. You know, and the song we sing in the night when we're afraid. Mm -hmm. And all of us have things as we look out of the future that we can easily, we can feed on our fears. Yeah. 
I'm good yeah. at that, especially about 3 a.m., right? Yeah, right. <laughs> or strong suits. Yeah. if we can, you know, take this verse and make it part of the fabric of who we are mm-hmm. and make it even fit our current circumstances and say, this is the, I want to sing Habakkuk song. Mm-hmm. I want to be determined to trust God no matter what. Amen. That. Me too. I want I that. I thank the Lord for the book of Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And then again, Zephaniah is next. He's Tuesday's reading for this week. Another solid baby name. Another solid baby name. What would you, it could be, it'd be really cute. Though. It'd be like Zephy. Zeph. Yeah. Zeph Williams. Naya. I don't know. Oh, Naya. That's kind of cute. That's a pretty. We can get there. So we have yet this week, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And it is hard to distinguish those even in sound. Exactly. (laughs) I I have to really work at not getting them confused. I know. I do too. And I've never taught them. And for me, if I haven't taught it to somebody else, then I don't always have a firm grip on it. (sighs) You know, all these prophetic books, they all start with like, is the son of whatever. Right. And I think this is another good thing about prophets. One reason that we don't totally grasp them because like a lot of those names mean nothing to us. Yeah. I find a really interesting one here in okay. the first verse of Zephaniah. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi. Now, I don't know who that was, <laughs> but if you think about the Old Testament, I mean, what does that even sound like? We've heard this before. We think of a country. Okay, yeah. Cush. Yeah, Cush. Yeah. yeah. Right? Ethiopia. Okay, yeah. I and didn't. Okay, I say yeah. I knew Kush. I didn't know Kush meant Ethiopia. I, I, I didn't either until okay. I read something about I'm this, and yeah, I was just I like, okay, so that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this before, haven't we? In that God has always been bringing in right. people, yes, to be a part of His family, mm-hmm. and so evidently Seems somewhere to be his here, right, <laughs> in yeah. Zephaniah's family line, okay, is someone from Cush, which is so exciting. In fact, then turn oh, that's a couple. So interesting, yes. If, if you turn to chapter three, yeah, the beginning of chapter three, it's all about how God's going to bring judgment on Jerusalem and on the nations. But then there's a real turn in the middle of chapter three, yeah. It's the conversion of the nations. And look at verse 10. And from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed one, shall bring my offering. And, you know, this is one of those deals where geography helps it mean more, right? Because here you go, okay, here's it's in his genealogy, and yet he sees God is at work. Yeah. Even now. Mm-hmm. bringing in the people from every nation. In the book of Acts, remember what happens at the very beginning of the book of Acts is at Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, ever since the nations have been divided, mm-hmm. we've been longing for them, for that to be restored. And that's what happens on Pentecost mm-hmm. because all of a sudden, everyone can, they can hear the gospel in their own language, right? So that begins happening at Pentecost. It's so amazing. Yeah. All the things Zephaniah is basically going to say that begin to speak with one voice. And in a sense, that's what happens at Pentecost. That begins to happen. But do you remember what else he records in Acts? I mean, it almost seems like a one-off little story in the book of Acts. And that is when they come upon this Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah. Remember this? And yeah. he's, he's reading the book of Isaiah. And he's like, who is this talking about? This is uh, Philip, suffering. right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. He's talking to Philip. Who is this even talking about in Isaiah? And this is Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified and is written. And he's just like, is anything keeping me from being baptized right now, right? I love and, it. and he's baptized. And so, you know, that can seem kind of like an outlier in the story that Acts tells. And yet in some ways, 
I think Zephaniah would have been saying, that's what I was talking about. I told you this was going to happen. This is going to happen. That God was going to bring in people even from as far away as Cush into the family. I just love that. Oh, I think that's beautiful. We talked a little bit last week about how, I mean— more than a little, about how God's character doesn't change, right? So who he is in the New Testament is not any different than who he is in the Old Testament. So if in the New Testament he is inviting the marginalized into his family and grafting the nations into his family, he, of course, is also doing that in the Old Testament, even if it looks different, even if it's more difficult to perceive. Maybe it's a smaller scale. Not as blatant. Yeah, smaller scale is a great way to put it. But even like these promises of what is at work, what he is doing, his his timeline isn't divided Old Testament and New Testament. He is just God, right? And he was at work. Always yeah. accomplishing that purpose. Yeah. Presenting a bride to his son. Yeah. And a bride who's going to be very diverse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And there's so much language in Zephaniah about the gathering and the remnant yes. and the bringing in. We have the key verse in verse 17 of chapter 3, leading up to that, starting in 14. Sing for joy, daughter Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and celebrate with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. I will gather those who have been driven from the appointed festivals. They will be a tribute from you and a reproach on her. Yes, at that time, I will deal with those who oppress you. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. Mm. I will make those who were disgraced throughout the earth receive praise and fame. At that time, I will bring you back. Yes, at that time, I will gather you. And I mean, it just keeps going. But talk to us, Nancy, about the remnant. Like when scripture is talking, that's what you're describing, right? Is like that God is, well, I don't, I want to know. And that's the beautiful thing about Zephaniah, that not only is God making his blessings known far as the curse is found, but also his beloved Israel. And he is, you know, if the book of Zephaniah in part is about God preserving a remnant of Israel. But that word remnant, I don't know if that's as familiar to our listeners. Can you kind of explain Mm -hmm. what that means? Well, we know that it's always been God's intention to have a people for himself. That's right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't include all people. That's right. We kind of wish it did. Yeah. We might be more comfortable with the Bible if it did. That's true. But we see over and over again in the Bible that God is at work to save a people for himself from all peoples, but not all people. Yeah. And so we can think From all peoples, but not all people. But not all people. Yeah. And so we can think of this remnant you know, another way thing we might call them is the elect, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. or his chosen possession. You know, mm-hmm. it's those whom the Holy Spirit is going to bind to Christ, whether in the Old Testament era or in the New Testament mm-hmm. era, but those who've been made mm-hmm. alive. Another way we think of it as the people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. the way the Bible would describe them, yeah. right? Yeah. But this remnant, you know, always in the Old Testament, you've got all of these 12 tribes, but you do repeatedly hear, and you hear about it here too, is this remnant. These people who are, you know, many in Judah and Israel have pursued idolatry, and they're going to refuse to repent. Mm-hmm. But there are those who will repent. 
There are those who will return. There are those who will continue to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm -hmm. And that's who defines the remnant. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Thank you for that. And we'll see that's not the only place that we – this remnant is not isolated to one book of the Bible. This is, as you're saying, this is what is happening right now. Or to the time of the Bible, right? Right. Like, is it this – I mean, does it – I hope I'm in the remnant. I I know I'm in the remnant because I know that Christ is mine and I am his. And so, but you and I would be part of the remnant. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks be to God. Praise be to God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I got to tell you what I love about this verse that you all set out. Yeah. 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 One of the things I love about it here in Zephaniah, you see it both in verse 15 and then it's repeated in verse 17 that maybe we just kind of rush right over. But both places, it says Mm -hmm. that the Lord is in your midst. Yeah. Hmm. And if we have been reading, I know you've been, this is we part have. of a study of the whole of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, it was a long time ago, earlier in the Old Testament, that we heard God declare that this was his intention. Mm-hmm. Right? Back in the books of Moses, mm-hmm. numerous places, mm-hmm. he declares, it's kind of like he sets out what the whole of the Bible and all of history is yeah. all about. When he says, I'm going to be your God mm-hmm. and you're going to be my people. And I'm going to dwell with you, which right. I don't know about you, but that kind of blows my mind that, that he even wants to do that. Yeah. But it also, I think, you know, people think about the Old Testament God being harsh or mean or not relational. No. Right. I mean, from the very outset, he's been saying, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to like live in the backyard. I want us to be mm-hmm. back, you know, yeah. I want us to maybe even share the same house, right? Yeah. And so I want to really know you. And so... This is what fills us with joy in this future Mm -hmm. that Zephaniah sees. He sees the king of Israel Mm. showing up, and the king is also God, the Lord your God. He's in your midst. And because he's in your midst, in verse 15, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Yeah. He's that kind of king. And then in verse 17, you know, he's going to save you. And not only is he going to save you, he's going to rejoice over you mm-hmm. with gladness, quiet you with his love. I mean, once again, it's just the most Hard to imagine beautiful picture beautiful. of intimate relationship. It's actually the like, only place and, in the Old think Testament. for a minute. What does it look like? I can't even God really imagine it, honestly. Rejoice over you. Not you like know. y'all even, but like what's it look mm. like you specifically mm. for God to rejoice over you with singing that is made possible. That's where we see Christ in Zephaniah. That is made possible by the blood of Jesus. That's why he rejoices over me with singing. Yes. Not because of what I can do, right? It would be a dirge if it, it were all about dirge. me, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but because I'm joined to Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And because he's so pleasing to his father yeah. that he can exult over me yeah. with loud singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's just beautiful. Among you, I mean, it's the thread. There are so many really cool, I mean, thematic threads through Scripture that you can follow, you know, this garden thread you can follow. And one of those is this presence of God thread where he begins in the garden with Adam and Eve, and they're walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. Mm -hmm. And by the end, we know that God's dwelling place will be with his people. He will dwell among us, that that is the goal. And so when we see that he is the God who is, your king is among you, that is, it's the foretaste. And it's beautiful. And we get to be on the other side of the first advent, you and me and, and Amanda. We, we're mm-hmm. here. We have God with us. We've seen we the have king the Holy come. Spirit. We've seen the King come. He's coming back. Those two words, among you. 
they matter a whole, whole lot. And they matter for them then and they matter for us now. Knowing our Bibles is one of the best ways to know our God. But if you're anything like me, you may have been seeking God and His Word for decades, but still might not be able to articulate what the books of Joel or Deuteronomy or Titus are about. As She Reads Truth, one of our goals is to grow ourselves and our community in biblical literacy. And we're so excited to introduce you to our newest resource, The Big Picture of the Bible. This is a set of 66 theme verse flashcards, and it's designed to help kids and adults understand the big picture story of the Bible, book by book. Every card features a verse or passage from a book of the Bible that represents the theme of that book and how it fits in the larger story. If your desire is to know and understand what the books of the Bible say and how they fit together to tell one story, grab a card set and get ready to challenge your kids, your friends, your small group, or yourself to learn the big picture of the Bible. I'm so excited for you guys to get this card set. It feels so on brand for She Reads Truth and our mission. We're going to give you 15% off your card set with the code BIGPICTURE. That's 15% off with code B-I-G PICTURE at checkout. That's shopshereadstruth.com. Go get one now. You won't regret it. Okay, let's keep going. All right. To another that is relatively difficult. It's hard it's, because for I this study, Haggai. we want to hit every single one of these days in the course of an hour. And so here we are trying mm-hmm. to... I know. Okay. Yep. So Haggai. So here we go with Haggai. Let's I, not name our child after this person. Yeah, it's I not mean, the best. Maybe not. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, but you can. It's here we are. <laughs> um, and here is when you ask like, the question, like, what is the book of Haggai? Haggai it was a contemporary of... Zechariah, who we'll get to next, mm-hmm. and Ezra, who we read about coupled with Nehemiah earlier in the Old Testament, and his ministry was to the Jewish people who yeah. had returned to Jerusalem and had begun rebuilding the temple. So just to punctuate that, I that's, mean, this is a big transition happening yeah. right yes. here because we've just, you know, in reading Habakkuk and then Zephaniah, you know, Habakkuk was written... They were still waiting for the Babylonian invasion to happen. Yes. Zephaniah was written actually when Josiah was the king. Do you remember Josiah? And he yeah. un- he unearthed the, the book scrolls. of the law. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why I think Zephaniah draws a lot from Deuteronomy uh-huh. right? yeah. because they've found it. All right. Now comes a big line because the next three books that we're going to talk about, yeah. these are all, you know, there were 70 years mm-hmm. of Babylonian captivity. Yeah. And then Haggai is going to be another 20 years after they've come back. So my timeline says that Haggai was 520 BC. Mm-hmm. And then so the only other prophet after Haggai was Zechariah, who was also 520 BC, but through five yes, or 515 they're contemporaries. BC. So, so they're, contemporaries, they're, they're in the last five years. Things that hang unless, and I yep. like to argue that John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. I do too. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like these guys aren't actually the last. That was old JTB. But mm-hmm. listen, in the context of our Old Testament, Haggai and Zechariah are the last two guys. So you're right. That's important to point out that this is happening right at the end. Mm-hmm. And that 43,000 Jewish pilgrims returning, that is the remnant at the time. I loved where you were going. I'm sorry I interrupted you. I know. Because you were no, talking about we're Ezra. We're just so enthusiastic. Ezra's important yes. to figure out where we are with Haggai. Yeah. Tell us about it. So Keep going. You know, we're reading the Old Testament history. 
let me just throw this in, like for absolute free, okay? <laughs> always, <laughs> always, always interrupt us. As right. a rule, we want to hear you talk it's about it. It's just one of those things that I think helps us understand the province because we were talking about how difficult they can yeah. be and how they're not chronological and so we don't know how to figure them together. Uh-huh. I always say like you could take the prophets and like squeeze them up together. It helps to try to then fit, okay, which of those historical books are you going to set them over Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. To try to figure out the time frame in which they were happening. So let's take all these prophets, let's squeeze them up because there's only a couple books back there, so they have to be a little smaller. Okay, mm-hmm. so we squeeze them up and we're going to send them over Second Kings okay. and First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Okay. All right. So Great. there's the time frame. That helps. It's, that it's, really it's, does help. a bookshelf. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, can picture you've got it. Yeah. Over, so yeah. the reason Ezra's important is if you're reading the history, they've been in exile, and it's Ezra mm-hmm. who gathers a group of the priestly tribe to take that first group back to Jerusalem after the exile in Babylon. And they've got a particular task in mind. That's what the, all the book of Ezra is mm-hmm. about. The reason for who goes with them. And what they're going to do is that they're going to go back and they're going to begin rebuilding the temple. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ezra's so clear. I mean, he lists out all the stuff they're going to take with them. Well, it's all of the furniture and the other things that got carried off by the Babylonians. They're going to take back because they are rebuilding the temple. Mm -hmm. Yes. That is their job. And in the book of Ezra, we begin to see how that project is going and Mm -hmm. we discover is not going so good. Not the best. (laughs) They face a lot of opposition. Right. And they kind of stop working on the temple. And it's into that that Haggai speaks. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's so helpful. And so they're discouraged and they're starting. Is it right that they kind of stopped the work on the temple, but they're continuing to build their own homes? (laughs) I have to tell you, I don't have time for this, (laughs) but I do have time for this. I have to tell you, I was really thinking about this this morning as I was reading through this a little bit and thinking about, I'm going to jump to us then a little bit quickly, all right? Because yes, their task is to rebuild the temple of God, the place where people meet with God. The presence of God. The presence of God is there. And so if we do want to jump to us, you know, well, we have a task. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not necessarily building a church building, right? but it's being engaged in the building up of the people of God, right. in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ. We're called to that investment. And just as I was thinking about that this morning, yeah, I just yeah. thought about how much easier it is to, in a sense, mm-hmm. be concerned with my own house. Yeah. Oh, right. My own yeah. life, my own projects, Whew. my own schedule, my own everything Mm -hmm. and to have that be at the center and i just found haggai challenging as i was looking at it this morning just thinking you know what place at what place in my life is the priority of my investment in the people of god and in the work of god in the world because i think that's haggai's call to us right yeah and it's very upside down kingdom talk right because This that you were talking about, like this conviction that you had this morning, that is very counter to everything else we hear in our world. You know, honestly, while we're, I want to read from this book, but there's a sentence at the, in our study book at the end of the Haggai reading that talks about how Haggai fits into the story of scripture. And, And it says, Haggai admonished the Jewish people living in Jerusalem after the exile, urging them to choose God over what made them comfortable. And I just... 
Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. but let's read. Yeah. I see you with it open there, Ray. Oh, yeah, I'll read it. I have found repeatedly that while the key verses have been immensely helpful for us over the course of this Old Testament look, it's been even more important to me to be getting these in context. And I think that, so I'm actually going to, the key verse is is verse 9, but I'm going to start in verse 1. And so uh, it says here in Haggai chapter 2, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, <laughs> governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak. I mean, you offered to read it. So. I did. This is on me. I can see that now. And to the remnant of the people. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. I like that be strong. That's an echo that we've heard through the Old Testament. He says again, be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. In the CSB, it is a one-word exclamatory sentence, work. (laughs) (laughs) For I am with you, the declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. And it keeps going. For the Lord of armies says this, once more. In a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And here's our key verse. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I'm so glad we got to read the whole context because that really helps. But I mean, boy, we're seeing like a near future and a distant future talked about here, aren't we? This is one of those passages that you really have to hold up to reality. Yeah. And by that, I mean, earlier you read uh, verse three, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? So you ask, okay, so mm-hmm. what does that mean? Well, he's talking about when Solomon built the temple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was... Glorious. Right, it was right. incredible. I mean, and that's, I assume, when, a rhetorical question, right? That was yes, too long nobody, ago. Yeah, nobody's no, that old. Yeah. No, yeah. Nobody's still going to be living, but he is kind of saying, remember how glorious this used to be. And the fact is, they've been rebuilding it. It's just not that great. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so when you get to the curse that you've been that the now? latter glory of the house is yeah. going to be greater than the former glory, mm. you know, anybody who lived during that time would have had to scratch their heads a little bit because like how the truth is it's <laughs> it's never in terms of the physical temple made of limestone in the Middle East it's never going to be more glorious than it was in Solomon's day yeah and so you have to say okay so we know he's speaking the truth so what is he talking about mm-hmm. and of course when we turn the page to the New Testament and we hear Jesus say things mm-hmm. like something greater than the temple is here. Or we hear him say something like, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up again. And when we hear John, when he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, or tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory, Mm -hmm. the glory is the only begotten of the Father, we begin to realize, 
all the latter glory of the temple. We see it in the coming, in the person and work of Jesus. Yeah. That he, in its essence, is the temple. And yet there's also a greater fulfillment of what he's talking about here. Because as we continue going, you know, what happens, once again, when we get to Pentecost, on that day of Pentecost, what's going to happen? Always before, fire came down to dwell in the most holy place of the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. Then fire came down to dwell in the most holy place of the temple. And that's what made it glorious. Yeah. Because this glorious God dwelt there. Mm -hmm. Right. But then what happens on Pentecost? Little fires. Fire comes down, not on the tabernacle. Not on a building. Not on the temple. But on individual on believers, people. and they become living, living, breathing stones, living, breathing temples mm-hmm. in which the Spirit of God dwells. Mm-hmm. And so the epistles, both you know Peter and Paul, they will tell us, Peter will tell us, you know, we're being built as living stones, or Peter yep. will talk about being built into a spiritual house in which God intends to dwell. Yes. And then when we get to the end of the Bible story, and we get to Revelation 21 and 22, yeah. we read you know, there's no temple there because the Lord and the Lamb is the temple. And in a sense, the whole of the new Jerusalem is the temple. So when he says (laughs) that the latter glory of this house is going to be greater than the former, you know, I'm sure he's saying more than he could have even visualized and Mm -hmm. understood at that point because he's speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, You and I can look back in the New Testament and we can see it and we look forward by faith. Yeah into this greater temple to come when actually the temple will spread to every corner of this earth. You yeah. know, the whole earth will become the most holy place where the glory of God will dwell amongst his people. Yes. And we will say, you know what? Haggai was right. Yes. <laughs> the latter glory of the temple is greater than the former glory. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, mm. we get a passage from 1 Corinthians 3 and from 2 Corinthians in this reading day. But 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9 says, For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. And then a couple of verses later, no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. And just, you know, don't you know that you are God's temple, that the Spirit of God lives in you? It's just one of those things that our minds just can't even contain. But the glimpses we get are so glorious and and mind-blowing that that's the role that we get to play with Jesus as the foundation. It's Man, just I, incredible. It just makes me think of what, you know, you named that series, you know, Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And it's been a... It's been a journey that we intended to take, and it's been a good one to, in the Old Testament, see Jesus through this whole series. And I know we're not done yet, because I want to start like... Tying the bow on the Old Testament, but not too quickly. We have Zechariah and Malachi ahead of us. Two more guys to go here. Two more gentlemen ahead of us. And so we're already at Zechariah, which is the second to last book of the Old Testament. I mean, it's been quite a journey. We're doing so great. We're doing so great. And as I said, with when we were talking about Haggai, so Zechariah is technically, chronologically, the last prophetic ministry, with the exception of our friend John the Baptist. (laughs) But yeah, so these events, these are taking place just before the story of Esther and. just before the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah, which were kind of in the 400s BC. So we have um, we have a key verse here. I know we're trying to like move along as quickly as we can because I want to get to Malachi as well. Nancy, would you read for us the key verse for the book of Zechariah? It's from chapter 13, verse 9, but let's back up and start at 7. 
Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. There's that covenant formula again, right? right? Going back to the, Uh I'll be their God and they will be my people. And Zechariah seems to see this coming to full fruition in the future. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting too, it's all connected with this shepherd. Yeah. This shepherd who's going to be struck. Yeah, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And we know when we get to the Gospels, Jesus is going to refer to this as, you know, being connected with his own death. That's right. Mm -hmm. That he is the good shepherd Mm -hmm. who will be struck. In fact, there's a number of things that we see, especially in that key time of Jesus's crucifixion, that seem to be drawn right out of Zechariah. You know, Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem. Well, that's what's told about yeah. in Zechariah 9.9. He's betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, and that's right there in Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. Earlier in his ministry, when he drives the merchants mm-hmm. out of the temple because zeal for his father's house consumes him, it yeah. comes right out of Zechariah. So that, that makes me think... I mean, picture Jesus, you know, we don't know a lot about his first 33 years. Yeah. But as he gazed into these Old Testament books, these books that you and I have talked about that maybe we avoid because we don't understand them, Mm -hmm. Jesus is reading them. They mattered a great deal. Jesus is reading, and he's seeing in them Mm -hmm. his own identity, his own purpose, his own mission. Yeah. And so, therefore, as those things come about Mm -hmm. in his life, it's only natural that as he talks about them, that the words he uses come out of these prophetical books because he loves the Word of God. That's right. And so it just comes out in the way he talks about his own experience. I think that that's one of the things that we have learned and have doubled down learned as we've studied the Old Testament these last several weeks, these last seven weeks now, that we want the Old Testament to matter to us the way it mattered to Jesus. And also that it indeed mattered to Jesus. Like what we, like so much of what we've read over these last seven weeks are surprisingly familiar because mm-hmm. they're things that Jesus said. We thought maybe he was just saying them, right? And until <laughs> we actually read the Old Testament and go like, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that too? All of a sudden you're seeing not only did the Old Testament matter to Jesus, but not almost, but like nearly everything he said either referenced it or quoted it or something. And, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but three of the four gospels, either the first thing or the second thing Jesus says is, it is written. Yeah. It's the same story. It's the same. It's because yeah. Jesus is telling the same story mm-hmm. that God has been telling. for, And it's he is part of this story, and it is our story. It's why we are so passionate about not just reading Scripture, but about doing this specific reading plan where we can set up some scaffolding on which to continue like yeah. building and understanding as we read the Bible over time mm-hmm. because it is one story. Yeah. And we don't understand it as so when we when we sit down for the first times and open it up and that's okay but like as we continue to read we will see 
all of these connections. And it's not just, oh, look at that. What a coincidence. There are so many connections. It's the same author, the same story mm-hmm. that he's been telling from the beginning of time. Yeah. Before the beginning. Of, and what I love time. about this community <laughs> is that, yeah, we're about to finish. This is the Old Testament. We're about to have completed that goal that we set out in front of us. And in five weeks, we'll complete This is the New Testament. But we are by no means finished. I mean, right mm-hmm. after that, I think the next book we read is Deuteronomy. Like, I think we're going to be like, a good time. All right, cool. We skimmed Deuteronomy for a day. Let's go spend several weeks in that. But when we do, having done this, we're going to have like such a better context as we enter Deuteronomy and kind of know where it fits within Scripture. Okay, I know we're almost out of time. Final book of the Old Testament, Nancy. Talk <laughs> to us about Malachi. Talk to us about the key verse of Malachi mm. and Help us understand the bridge between the Old and New Testament. Just like a casual ask, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just love the heartfelt words in the way Malachi begins. Mm. We're told in the first verse, it's an oracle. It's the word of the Lord yeah. to Israel by Malachi. But then he just he kind of puts these words in God's mouth. I have loved you, mm. says the Lord. But you say... How have you loved us? I mean, you can just almost mm. picture this, right? You know, right. so here are God's people. They have returned from exile. Yeah. Temple isn't that glorious. Mm-hmm. Life isn't that good. Mm-hmm. They took to heart all of these promises they've mm-hmm. been hearing the prophets say about, I'm going to go back and replant you. And they've heard these prophetic promises like the glory of the temple is going to be greater, right? And they're just like, this does not line up with our reality. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. And so this must mean that God, you don't even love us. Mm-hmm. I want to judge I them, but I, I see myself in them. Exactly. <sighs> exactly. And Malachi works his way through some things. You know, the Old Testament sacrifices are still in place, but what are these people doing? They're supposed to bring their best, their first, but, you know, they're bringing the blind animals, the lame animals. Mm -hmm. And what's the problem with that? It's just a reflection of their lack of love for him. Mm -hmm. And so I just love it that he begins, I've loved you. (laughs) I've been at work in your lives toward a good purpose, and I am at work, and yet... You are not bringing me your best, which reflects that you don't really love me. You're marrying women who still serve other gods. Mm -hmm. You're leaving the wives of your youth, Mm -hmm. the ones who love me, and you're marrying these foreign wives, whether it's for sexual reasons or true, you know, they're my soulmate. I doubt it's that. It's probably more financial. Mm -hmm. And you're allowing that to corrupt you. So he's just showing all Mm -hmm. these problems and then Malachi takes this turn. He's saying, you know what? There's a big day yeah. coming around, mm-hmm. and it's going to be significant. And in chapter 4, behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. I mean, that kind mm-hmm. of takes your breath away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he says earlier in chapter 3, behold, I send my messenger, and he'll prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, Mm. says the Lord of hosts. So the first there's going to be this one messenger, and that's that favorite guy of yours. What'd you call him? JTB? Yeah. JTB. So so John the Baptist is going to come, so that messenger. But then there's going to be this other messenger of the covenant who is the Lord, and he's going to come suddenly to the temple. And they're waiting. The last verses of Malachi are kind of a warning as the last words of the Bible. 
And I'm interested to know what the last word is in your translation. Curse. Yeah. Isn't that significant? Wow. Do you remember how the Bible yeah. began in Genesis 1? In the beginning. Blessed, blessed. He, yeah. All the, right, he blessed, blessed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in chapter 3, everything goes wrong. Right, right, right. And this is the big crisis of the Bible. Wow. Mm-hmm. This yeah. curse. And so we begin all of these, you know, there's a promise, though, that there's going to be an offspring of the woman who's going to deal with this curse. Then we start reading all of these genealogies. Mm-hmm. And what do they keep saying? And he died. And he died. Right. And he died. And the Lord sends prophets who give God's word, and people don't listen to them. And the Lord gives priests, and the priests are a failure. The Lord gives kings, and kings aren't faithful. And so, you know, here's God. He's been working out this plan to deal with the curse. But when we get to the end of the Old Testament, the curse it's is still not the problem. Dealt with. Yeah. It's not been dealt with. All of this mm-hmm. longing, that's right, waiting, expecting. To me, it's very significant that the Old Testament ends with this word. I have it's never noticed issue. that before, but I yeah. cannot agree more how significant yeah. that is. We need a new covenant. To me, it's significant. Here in Malachi, we get the sense, okay, the curse is still an issue, but then you've also got this promise that this messenger is going to come. And it asks the question in 3.2, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He talks about him being a refiner's fire. And so, I mean, that's a pretty good question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, who's going to be able to stand? And then read for me the key verse you all brought out of Malachi. From verse 1, for look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. You said this earlier. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. This is a picture of fire, right? And so like the first part, yikers. Right. And That's the technical term. Arrogant, yeah, arrogant, even like stubble. And the thing is, you know, anybody knows anything about fire? Anybody who lives in the parts of the world mm-hmm. where these, there's these rampant forest fires or mm-hmm. anybody who's had their house or their neighborhood burned down, right? Mm-hmm. We know the destructive nature of fire. But if you live somewhere, like I spoke a while ago in Colorado, and we were looking at this imagery and – you know, one of those forest fires around Colorado Springs yeah. had burned right up to the back of the church. Yeah. But that had been a couple of years before. Mm-hmm. If you looked out then, mm-hmm. what had the fire done? The fire had burned away a lot of stubble, but now there was all this beautiful new growth. Yeah. <laughs> so while fire destroys, it also has the power to purge. That's right. To purify. Yeah to refine, even Mm -hmm. heal. And that's the picture here, that when the Lord comes in judgment, there's going to be a burning, Mm -hmm. a judgment. But then is this that beautiful picture you were reading in verse 2? But for you who fear his name, Mm -hmm. the fire is going to do something very different in our lives. And this is a solid source for hope, that this fiery sun of righteousness is going to do a work of healing. It's going to do a work making us alive again and joyful again. Yeah. Oh, I love that word healing. I mean, in their healing is like 
salvation. I mean, that's that word for salvation. I just think that's so, so beautiful, healing in its wings. I mean. So you've got this 400 years of silence after Malachi says this. Yeah. Yeah. And they're thinking about this promise of suddenly, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Hmm. And we then let's say maybe we open up the book of Luke. Mm Mm-hmm. And we read about this baby who was born, and eight days later, he's carried to the he suddenly temple. In the temple. He has suddenly appeared. And who's there? Simeon. Simeon and Anna. Yeah. And Simeon sees him. And I had to think, surely Simeon thought about Malachi. Right. right? He, because both he and Anna, they've been waiting at the temple for oh, yeah. us, right? They believed what Malachi said. Kind of said. around the clock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so my eyes have seen your salvation. Yeah, I mean, healing. so he yeah. has seen this with his eyes. The Lord has come suddenly in his temple. But then I think we also have to ask, it says, for those who fear my name, you know, in terms of how this fire is going to affect us, which is going to purify. So how is that possible? How yeah. is it possible that you and I might escape the flames unscathed? Mm-hmm. And the reason is that Christ on the cross, he will face that burning like an oven. Though he was not an arrogant evildoer, he took all the arrogance mm-hmm. and all of the evil of his people upon himself and innocence laid in death became stubble. So he received yeah. that judgment that we rightly deserve so that we can fall in this second category. The God of that- justice took on the ultimate injustice. That we could be in the second category. So we finished the book of Malachi. I know. And in a sense, we end with a curse, and, but we also have so much hope. Yeah. Because we still believe, Genesis 3.15, that the curse is going to be dealt with. Yes. And we believe that the Lord is going to suddenly come to his temple, that this son of righteousness mm-hmm. is going to rise on the dawn of a new creation, yeah. a new day. Mm-hmm. And that's what we get to witness when we turn the page to the Gospels. I love it. Can we wrap by reading Hebrews chapter 1? I just think about, like, all I can think about in, like, this connecting between Old Testament and New Testament. Nancy, would you read maybe verses 1 through 3 from the start of Hebrews? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe (laughs) by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Come back next week. I know. We're going to open the New Testament. I'm so excited, Nancy. Thank you so much for looking not just at these five minor prophets with us, but looking at Jesus with us, looking Mm -hmm. at the whole of Scripture, looking at the God of judgment and mercy and all of those things, the refining fire with us. Thank you. You're welcome. Been my delight to do so. Oh, it's been such a joy. And we're going to get to spend. Starting next week, five weeks in the New Testament, and I can't wait for all of the connections, just like that Simeon and Anna mm-hmm. passage and oh. Luke. Like, we're just, it's going to continue to call back to the Old Testament, and we're going to see that it's one story, and we're going to see 
yeah. how the story goes. I just, I'm Our so excited Our experience in the New it. Testament will be so much richer because of the time we spent in the Old Testament. Yep. Y'all, Tara Lee Cobble is coming back next week. She kicked off the Old Testament with us. She's going to kick off the New Testament with us, which we're so looking forward to. You guys know your job. Between this week and next, your privilege, in fact, your invitation is to be a woman in the Word of God every day this week. And we've talked about... And you two guys, men in the Word of God every day this week as well. We've talked about what you're about to read, but now go read it. And read it with this confidence that not only are you invited to read the reading plan that we've, you know, sort of curated for you guys, but also with the confidence of knowing how quickly, how reasonably quickly you can read just these full books on these days if you choose to. If you have a little extra time, most of them are sub 10 minutes to read. So I invite you, you know, to do that if you can make the time to do that too. Y'all, we're so excited. Of course, we've said it a million times, but I'm saying it again. So looking forward to next week. But until next week, Nancy, what do we tell our listeners? Keep opening your Bibles. Bibles.